back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, and we got a lot to talk about. I am tired, Alan. I've been, I've been riding a lot more than I uh, have in a while. It's it's a lot. Um, so yeah, just a quick like overview of some of the stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Office of Coordinator Search, which is still ongoing. We're going to talk about the transfer portal, which opened up yesterday and saw um, five Gamecocks enter it, but also several other uh, targets from around the country that maybe South Carolina is going to start looking their direction. Talk a little bit of football recruiting. I'll, we'll talk more about that later in the week. And then, oh, yeah, there's a bowl game coming up <laughs> um, and th- two basketball seasons going on on top of all of that. So. Uh, it's going to be a jam-packed show. Uh, we'll see what all we get to. Anything we don't get to, we'll talk about later in the week. And uh, obviously, you can check out the latest updates on GamecockScoop.com. All right, Alan, dealer's choice. Where do you want to start here? There's so, <laughs> so many different directions. There's a lot of directions here. Um, I think we start OC search just because that's kind of the p- most pressing thing right now, or at least the thing we talked about the most already. So I think we can – and you dropped another um, – for subscribers on GamecockScoop.com, you dropped another update. Was that this morning or was it yesterday? I don't know. My days are all screwed, but yeah, it's tough. Like it's there's all these like tricks, right? Of um, reporting where you put hot board three point five and a half or whatever, <laughs> and that gets people all excited. I do want to like just as our hot board, everyone's hot board um, is like a, a list of names that make sense, a list of names that we've heard from sources that have been good to us in the past. Um, but I will say like Shane Beamer's done a particularly good job of, of kind of keeping this under wraps uh, to this point, as far as if there's any actual movement with anyone, like um, we don't know about it. We, we know some of the names that were on this big, long 15 list um, that we heard about last week, which we reported on GameCockScoop.com names like Kendall Bryles uh, names like, um marion uh names like uh i just added two more today uh, dowell loggins who's the arkansas tight end coach but he also has nfl offensive coordinator experience um names like jake spatavall spavital how do you say spavital yeah spavital um who was the offensive coordinator for johnny manzel at texas a&m and then was the head coach of texas a or texas State, texas state um before getting fired so um, you know, he's got plenty of play calling experience. He he kind of grew up in that uh, Sonny Dykes, um, Dana Holgerson sort of uh, offensive system, which is obviously exciting. Um, heard a little bit on Garrett Riley. I just never really thought that that was much of a possibility. So we haven't thrown that out there. And then this morning we got the breaking news. That Dan Mullen's going to be the night. No, again, we've been trying to tell you. <laughs> people keep asking us about read it. Read the website, people. Read the website. I've seen it all over Twitter. I've seen it on other people's hot boards, whatever. Um, Dan Mullen is not going to be the offensive coordinator <laughs> at South Carolina. Um, I got, I got an, <laughs> I got an argument on Reddit from the Gamecock Scoop <laughs> account um, where this guy was just like insisting, like, "Oh no, the deal is done." I'm like, "All right, man. Well." Maybe your sources are better than mine, but I doubt it. Um, so yeah, uh, Dan, Dan Mullen confirmed the morning on XM Radio on the new high Matt Berry show, show. Or, or Matt Berry uh, reported on Twitter, but I think it was on the new Heisel show. Um, they asked, asked him directly, and he was like, "No." Now, of course, 
you know, so did Nick Saban or whatever famously before he took the Alabama job. But Deion Sanders is definitely not leaving Jackson State. (laughs) Right. But uh, the Mullen news that he self-reported, I guess, this morning lines up with what we've been hearing the whole time, which is why we haven't put him on any hot boards. And anytime we've been asked about it, we've been like, yeah, probably not. So, um, you know, there's always room for error, but I this tracks with what I've been hearing the whole time. So uh, sorry if you wanted Dan Mullen. I don't think that that was a particularly good fit anyway. Um, I mean, he's obviously an offensive genius and and there's some positives from that standpoint, but I don't know that he was a culture fit. Uh, I don't know that you hold on to him for longer than a season, which, you know, maybe that's not always a bad thing. Uh, you know, Alabama does it every year or whatever, but you're not quite Alabama yet. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, we don't know fully, um, every name on the list. Like I've filtered out seven or eight at this point that I feel pretty confident in. Um, but like I said, last week, we were hearing that the list is as long as 15, um, that most of last week was spent talking to players and kind of getting a sense of who's coming back and who's not, which we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second with the transfer portal. Um, so that then he can kind of use that information in the offensive coordinator search. And as we said last week, that group of like Spencer Rattler, um, Jaheim Bell, which we'll talk about in just a second, uh, Juice Wells, Marshawn Lloyd, we were expecting most of those guys back. But late last night, uh, we did. I, it was a surprise to me, at least. I mean, not like a total surprise, the, the path to Jaheim Bell ending up in the transfer portal like tracks and makes sense. But I wasn't really expecting it. We hadn't pre-heard that one. Obviously, sometimes we get the news before it breaks, and sometimes we're surprised like everyone else. Um, so that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, anything else you wanted to say on the offensive coordinator search before we get fully into the chaos of the portal, though? Yeah, I kind of wanted to get your take on a couple of these names you've heard. Um the two, I guess the two you, we've heard today would be Spavital and Loggins. Um, where do you, what is your kind of take on either of those? Like to me, I've got, I don't think Spavital is a great fit. Um, I think my main concern there would be the recruiting. I don't know how many people know this. I'm just kind of a college football dork who watches the Sun Belt, but Jake Spavital made a lot of headlines for not recruiting a single player two years ago, even though he coached at a school in the middle of Texas. He went entirely transfer portal. Like he, burned a lot of bridges with high school coaches doing that. It was part of the reason he got fired because those portal kids didn't work out at Texas state. I'm not sure if that's a direction you want to go someone who's not really a proven recruiter, but that's just kind of my take on Spavitol at least. Um, And then with logins, you've got KJ Jefferson coming back to Arkansas next year. He announced a couple days ago. So does that change his calculus? Does he want to stay? Does Kendall Bryles want to stay at Arkansas now that he has his quarterback set? Um, I think this is an interesting couple of names here, but I'm curious your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that I definitely somewhat trust Spavital's play calling ability, but um, actually did not know that fact about the the recruit the recruiting class from uh, twenty one. Uh, the fact that he has uh, experience recruiting in the portal, you know, maybe that's somewhat helpful in this day and age um, where what a thousand plus kids entered the portal on day one yesterday. Um, but I mean, if, if we're talking about like who I prefer, I think Bryles is probably number one. I mean, sure. Garrett Riley 
probably number one if you, if you can actually Garrett Riley, get who yeah. just got named the Broyles Award winner for Assistant Coach of the Year as of seven minutes ago, by the way. Right. Yeah. If you can actually convince that guy who's probably going to end up at a head as with a head coaching gig after this season uh, to come, then sure. Um, but Kendall Browse, you know, if if it's true that he's actually looking for a change, um, and you know, I'm I'm sure his name's going to be floated for some head coaching positions too, but. Um, I like, uh, Brennan Marion. Is that yeah. from Texas? Yeah. He was at Pitt before that. I do like him a good bit. Um, I don't know about the login Dowell logins. I mean, I, it's the same system, I guess that he knows. Um, but if you look at his offensive coordinator history in the NFL, it's, it's bad, not great yeah. offenses. I mean, you know, he was doing something right to keep getting rehired, I guess, but, uh, Four different gigs in the NFL. That's kind of yeah. crazy when you look at where his offense is actually finished and where those teams he was an offensive coordinator for finished. But um, failing up, yeah. I guess. And then another name that I guess we haven't mentioned in a minute is like Phil Longo at North Carolina. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be a okay fit. Um, but over the years, I feel like anytime they've played a decent to – good defense um that offense kind of i mean they put up tons of points against mediocre acc defenses or whatever but whenever they've played clemson or 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 whatever which most teams when they play clemson struggle but um you see i guess some of the Uh, deficiencies start to sneak through because that's definitely one of those offenses where if you go three and three and out a few series in a row you're really putting a lot of pressure on your defense the one thing about longo is you're getting air raid um, you're getting a lot of tempo. I think UNC was near the top of the country in plays run. I remember that was a thing when he got that job at UNC. It was kind of a styles class because they hired an OC with an air raid up tempo and a DC from Army. So it's like kind of clashing. One likes to go fast. One wants to do the ball control thing. Like it's and that kind of has created some. It's, I mean, they won. What do they win? Nine games this year. But uh, you're going to see something really different if they hire Longo. I don't know if that's the best fit either. Um, maybe from a recruiting standpoint, that's okay. Carolina's, um, but hiring Phil Longo probably means you're throwing the ball 50 times a game next year. Um, and we're going to get to this in a second, but I don't know if the personnel you have coming back really suits that. Right. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I know Shane Beamer talked a little bit about it in his press conference, uh, after the bowl game was announced on Sunday, which you were there for. Um, and as far as timelines go, like, I feel like he's taking his time to like really do his due diligence with all these guys, but it also wouldn't surprise me if it (laughs) happened in the next week or whatever too. Um, but I'm also getting the sense that it could extend past the bowl game and, uh, you know, and neither very much, um, hedges bets on that. Um, I got one quote in here. He said, Quote, we've certainly had some conversations. Nothing is imminent, but we certainly know we can't wait around forever, and we're not going to either. But I also want to make sure we have the right fit for everyone involved, not just in the short term, but the long term as well. Close quote. So, yeah, he's basically playing both sides there. He's saying nothing's imminent, but we also can't wait around forever. So do whatever you want with that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we talked about some of the timelines and why it would make sense to go early. Um, The transfer portal obviously just opened. Um, so got signing you know, day two weeks from tomorrow. Yeah, got the 2023 class early uh, signing period. Um, but then also you get a uh, welcome home last night uh, while they're on the road recruiting for the 2024 class. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I do know if that's an offensive or a defensive player, but uh, you know, there's there's still uh, a lot of things that I think Beamer is able to sell about the offense and about uh, the program itself without an offensive coordinator in place at the moment. Um, but I do think it would be better, obviously, to to kind of have that. And then, you know, you got the the argument that we were making about Spencer Rattler, Antoine Wells and, and Marshawn Lloyd, um, who we've heard uh, are leaning on maybe running it back. But obviously, there's still draft grades to get. And there's this question of like, who is the offensive coordinator and how what's the timeline on that? Um, and those guys are going to have to factor that into their decision as well. So I don't envy Shane Beamer's position right now because he's trying to, you know, recruit, uh, make this last push for all. I, I know that he, the, this this week he's visited or will visit, not he, the staff visited or will visit pretty much every committed player plus a lot of the, the guys that they're targeting. Um so it's a busy time. And then you're also trying to <laughs> nail down the right fit at offensive coordinator and prepare for a bowl game and all that stuff. So I feel busy, but I, it could be worse. <laughs> you're paid a little less than Shane Beamer too, but point taken. That's true. That's true. Maybe I would take that trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, do you want to get into the portal stuff now? You kind of just hinted at it, but I think, I yeah. think it's time. Yeah, so yesterday the portal officially opened uh, for underclassmen. Prior to that, uh, grad transfers and uh, FCS level players were able to go ahead and enter. Um, some people went ahead and declared it on Twitter even before uh, it was officially open. But yesterday they were able to actually get in the portal. Also, quick plug, uh, rivals.portal.com. There are now five guys there, I think, that are full-time focusing on the portal for rivals, which is was a big, uh, I mean, that's a big part of college football now, and it was a big push this year for rivals to get that up and going, and so far I'm really enjoying it. Um, you will notice when you go to the old player profiles uh, for like high school players, they stick around even once they've you know signed with a team, right? So, for example, uh, Jordan Davis, offensive lineman that went into the portal for South Carolina, if you go to his player profile, now at the top there's a toggle, and if you toggle college, it will have a college profile. It will say that he's in the portal, where he came from. Um, it's linked to Yahoo, so it's got his like updated height and weight and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, uh, there's a whole <laughs> ranking system that they're trying to somehow take a thousand players and put them into a ranking very quickly, which I do not envy them trying to figure that out right now. Um, but yeah, as far as South Carolina goes for the portal yesterday or between, you know, before yesterday and yesterday, there are now six players um, from South Carolina in the portal. If you count RJ Roderick from midseason and then uh, the more recent ones, you have offensive lineman Jordan, Biss, who was kind of a reserve guy, never really cracked the two or three deep um, defensive back Joey Hunter. Same thing. Uh, he never really found his way uh, onto the field too much. You got linebacker Daryl Daryl Ware, who is a former walk-on, but he had earned a scholarship, so that frees up another scholarship. Um, so those three guys you're kind of just like viewing, I guess, as like processing, for lack of a better term. Um, not that I'm saying that they were told to leave, but probably to some degree they're thinking, 
you know, where can I go get more playing time or, or whatever. But then the two big names from yesterday are the two tight ends. So tight end Austin Stogner, who still has a two of eligibility left. Um, what we've heard on that is mostly he just wants to kind of go back, play closer to home. Um, strangely enough, uh, several people uh, I've seen are thinking that he's going to end up back at Oklahoma, which is interesting. Um, and then Jaheim Bell, late last night, the news broke. I think it was like 9 o'clock or something Eastern time, which that is the advantage to me living out here in the mountains. Uh, I was awake and uh, able to kind of get on top of that. But, um, you know, like I said at the, at the top of the show, a little surprising, but also if you think about uh, the frustrations that he had over the course of the season, I, mean, I specifically remember um, after the Missouri, Missouri game, game <laughs> yeah, he had like, he had zero touches and his um, family, we talked about it at the time on the podcast, his family, you know, kind of took to Twitter and were trashing Satterfield and, you know, all this. Um, obviously, I kind of thought that maybe some of those wounds had been healed by Satterfield leaving and and the way that he kind of finished the season as a focal point. I mean, obviously, uh, who do you put in a running back if he doesn't finish those last few games? Yeah, that, that's kind of my thing, though, is like, I'm not sure if a if he wants to be a running back. I I do. I give Jaheim Bell a lot of credit for, and I know I cut you off there, but for doing what he had to do for the team and stuff uh, when Marshawn Lloyd got hurt, when Christian Beal Smith got hurt. But in a alternate universe where the running backs are healthy, we're probably still talking about Jaheim Bell not getting any touches or not getting very many. Um, and I don't think you should. And what I assume he felt is okay, don't let the running back situation cloud the overall picture. I still wasn't getting the touches and the balls I want here. And then you add that with, he's going to be one of the bigger names in the portal. Um, someone he's been talked about as an NFL tight end. He's going to have a lot of interest from a lot of places. And that comes both in terms of on-field production and NIL. So yeah, that's kind of where I fall on that. I, I, I still think that the running back carries don't change the overall picture, I guess. Yeah, there was a little bit of a catch-22 at times throughout the season with Bell, I felt, because um, Stogner and Atkins were both better blocking tight ends. Um, but then, obviously, Jaheim Bell is an elite athlete. Um, so I think, to some degree, when you put him in over those guys, it was kind of a tell that it was a passing play or, or whatever. Um, so there was a little bit of a dramatic struggle there. But you can't have a game like you had in Missouri where you have that guy that's just, you know, bigger, stronger, faster than 90% of everyone on the field. And he doesn't touch the ball. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I understand the narrative for why maybe he's looking for a change. Um, maybe he knows something more about the upcoming offensive coordinator than we do. Maybe not. Um, maybe, you know, in this NIL era, um, he's getting some offers that you can't turn down. You know, it's um, I would look at maybe some SEC schools uh, as potential landing spots. I know if you look back at his rivals profile, he was committed to Florida uh, at one point in in his recruiting process before he ended Carolina. So uh, maybe they're on the table. Dan um, Mullen, huh? Interesting. What's <laughs> to think? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man, the conspiracy theories. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean that that one kind of hurts, but also this is something that I said this morning in my article where we were kind of uh, talking about Upper Portal. The sky is not falling. Like, look at look around the country, guys. Uh, Clemson had nine enter the transfer portal. Texas A&M had sixteen enter the transfer portal. This, just yesterday, right? There, there, there could still be more uh, in the next forty-four days because this is a long open period. Um, the fact that South Carolina has six uh, in the portal right now, uh, seven. I think that maybe there was a, another walk-on that we didn't put on this list because they weren't a scholarship player, but um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to every team in the top 25. Alabama, I think, had uh, eight or nine in the portal. Um, obviously, you don't want to lose people that you were sort of depending on to build around this year, which Gene Bell was on that list of, of guys that you kind of expected if he came back uh, would be a key part of the offense, but... Also, this guy's not falling. Um, there's, we're about to get to this, but there's also uh, several tight ends in the portal that maybe you <laughs> you go seek out. And um, I know that initially Dupree out of Maryland, what's his first name? CJ Dupree. Yeah, CJ Dupree out of Maryland. Uh, he has an official visit coming up here in a couple weeks uh, for South Carolina. So you know, maybe that's an option. Um, you have. Connor Cox coming in the 2023 class at tight end. Um, you have a preferred walk-on that they Mar- – Marion Brown, I believe is his Marion name. Brown the second, but, I think. Yeah, that they just signed, um, which Allen's got a, a full article coming up talking about the tight end room on uh, Gamecocks later tonight, so I'm not going to give away all of the details of that. You guys can hop on and read that. Um, but really my point is, like, the sky's not falling – uh, they handled the portal pretty well last year, both from a um, people leaving and obviously going out and getting guys like Rattler and Stogner in the first place. And uh, I'm going to wait and see and assume that they're going to handle the portal pretty well again this year. Yeah, and I think the only reason people might think there's a sky falling kind of element to this is just because your two biggest hits right now. And you could argue the only two big hits, not to disrespect anybody else, are both in the same position. And also Nate Atkins out of eligibility. So you're down your top three tight ends for next year now. That's kind of, I think, where some of the concern is lying. And that, that is a concern for sure. And even just looking at the bowl game, which you know we're going to get into too, Nate Atkins and Trayvon Kenyon are like pretty much your only tight ends for that bowl game. Um, so I definitely understand the concern at tight end. I think almost certainly they're going to have to get a tight end out of the portal. I don't even think that's negotiable at this point. Um, Cause even with Connor Cox coming in, even with some of the other names I'm going to talk about later on this piece, you're going to need someone with some college football experience playing tight end. Um, so I would say almost certainly they're going to get one of those. Um, and you just got to kind of wait and see there. Um, but I definitely think like, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. If this is the worst it gets portal wise, you're probably in better shape than most teams. But also, like you said, there's six weeks left in this open period. So I'm definitely not implying that, oh, no more players are going to the portal. Um, I just oh, think you've. Yeah, almost certainly there are going to be some. Oh, others. yeah, there will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I'm just saying if this is the worst it gets or if this is near the worst it gets, you're still making out OK. So definitely I would agree with that sky not falling perspective, at least at this stage, sitting here on December 6th. Yeah, and this is, you know, the new reality. Um, the way that programs are going to win on a consistent basis is going to depend on navigating the portal. 
um, and navigating NIL. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting time that we're all uh, having to adjust to. It's a little bit sad uh, if you think about like the college football of my youth or whatever, where you see these guys for four or five years and get to know them and all that. But also, um, I think that you happen to have a, a staff and particularly Shane Beamer, um, a guy that knows how to work the portal. And, and uh, that's going to be very important if South Carolina is going to reach the heights that it wants to. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the, the main thing I'd stress too. like the portal worked. It, it didn't look as good at times. It was kind of rocky, but the portal worked well last year. You mentioned Stogner, you mentioned Rattler, but Antoine Wells Jr. is a portal. Um, Devonnie Reed was basically the mainstay at safety all year portal out of central Michigan. And I also think it's important to mention, I'm not definitely not saying this is going to be Stogner. This is going to be bell. Just because a player's in the portal doesn't mean they're actually going to leave. Players have pulled out of the portal. They've stayed. They've used it as an NIL negotiating tactic. Um, just because you see someone's name there doesn't mean they are 100% not going to be here next year. Now, I would guess, based on Stogner wanting to go home and Bell wanting the ball more, that they won't be here next year. And maybe I'm not talking about those two specifically. But in general, when you're looking at the portal, when you're keep, keeping up with all of our stuff at Rivals, with the portal tracker... Keep that in mind. Not every single person who is in the portal is going to be playing at a different school next season. Right. Yeah. So it's not like um, them signing an agent to the NFL or something and that uh, gets rid of their eligibility. So um, that is important to keep in mind. But like you said, I, I think they'll probably follow through with it um, based on what I've heard. But um, by the way, I see a couple of you out there watching. Thank you for watching. Uh, feel free to leave a comment or a question or something, and we'll we'll try to get to that. You guys want South Carolina to address this tight end situation or just the transfer portal in general? Right. Um, the other guy that we didn't talk about uh, in that 2023 class is Nicholas Harbor, who uh, I, I, at least right now still feel like is down to South Carolina, Michigan, though he's got some other official visits coming up that I updated you folks on. Uh, like three weeks ago now on the weekly recruiting wrap up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a Jaheim Bell type guy. I mean, arguably even more athletic. He's like an Olympian speed basically um, at 230 pounds or whatever he is. But anyway, um, it'll be interesting to see, to see how that goes. And we'll obviously keep you updated on any other portal portal news as we get going. Um, on the recruiting front, um, like you mentioned, early signing period is in two weeks. Uh, we expect most of the current verbal commits to go ahead and sign then. Um, like I said, uh, the staff has been out uh, recruiting for the beginning of this week, throughout all this week. Um, several of those commitments are, being, are part of that. Um, some of them got seen at the end of last week too. Um, I'm trying to think of regions right now. So, so Limbo, Pete Limbo is up in the, the Northeast right now. Um, he just tweeted he was in Philly this morning. Um, Justin Step and Shane Beamer uh, were in the upstate of South Carolina yesterday, um, which is intriguing. Um, hmm. And then is there a receiver in Greenville, perhaps. <laughs> Yes. Um, I also saw that Justin Sepp went to Burns. Um, 
And then you have Sterling Lucas, who's doing some Florida. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. But I'll ha- I plan this week's weekly recruiting wrap up to be um, kind of focused on where and who all got visited. I know that Sterling Lucas is visiting uh, Dylan Stewart today. That's a big, another big 2024 target. Um, and then, yeah, last night uh, in the midst of all the other chaos, uh, Shane Beamer tweeted out a welcome home. And we know it's for the 2024 class because he used uh, that new hashtag. So uh, it's 2024 ever to the. It's clever. I like it. It, it works. Uh, <laughs> Um, the 2023 one was above all else with else ending in two, three. Um, so that's kind of, if you're ever watching on Twitter and you see that, that's how he differentiates. That's the bat signal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we should hear, I, it won't be too terribly long, uh, before we hear on that one, um, for the 2024 welcome home. Obviously we always at uh gamecock scoop let the the kid have his moment uh, i know some other uh spots like to scoop them or whatever i know that is that isn't our name um but we we let them announce and then we'll uh kind of analyze it after the fact um but yeah i think folks will be happy there uh, i've i've you know that that's all i'll say i think folks will be happy um other recruiting stuff like i said just a bunch of visits so we'll 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 have full updates on that on the weekly recruiting wrap up later this week all right man we already spent 30 minutes talking about not actual football yet oh yeah there's a bowl game in three (laughs) weeks four weeks yeah um so Sunday afternoon, we were all frantically checking our Twitters, our phones, Brett Big Murphy scooping everybody on the bowl games, um, going full Adam Schefter here for college football. Um, and it was kind of South Carolina was the last SEC team to get its bowl placement. The Apparently, it was a battle between the Holiday Bowl and the Gator Bowl because they both really wanted Notre Dame, which you can understand. Um, and the Gator Bowl won that battle. And the Gator Bowl, we know, wanted South Carolina badly. Um, so once that Notre Dame domino fell, the other one did. Um, and we learned that Notre Dame's going to play South Carolina in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. That game is December 30th, 3.30 p.m. on ESPN. South Carolina has not been in the Gator Bowl since 1987, I think. Um, and they've never played Notre Dame in a bowl game. They haven't played them at all since 84. What are your first kind of takes on this? Yeah, so our understanding is that you know South Carolina is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. I actually had a good bit of leverage uh, through this bowl season, <laughs> through this bowl selection process, um, and they were in line for the Rely Quest, um, which is which gets the pick above the Gator. But they worked out a deal because they wanted to play Notre Dame, and then yeah, we did hear if Notre Dame had gone to the Holiday Bowl then South Carolina probably would have gone with the rely quest since it's the higher tier one or whatever. But anyway, things played out as they did. Uh, we got the matchup that we wanted the most, which was South Carolina versus Notre Dame. We said that last um, week on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, my, I was not alive in 1984, but my dad talks about that season a lot. That's the black magic season um, where South Carolina was, you know, really in the middle of the, national conversation and if they don't lose a game to navy that year they're playing for a national championship um which is you know 
pretty rough. But anyway, uh, they suspend. They, that year, yeah. 12 point comeback in the fourth quarter, which should get to the point. Exactly. So that huge win. Um, the only thing that uh, kind of stands out to me about this matchup thus far is you're not going to see uh, Notre Dame starting quarterback, um, which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, and then we've already talked about how there might be a couple guys, namely uh, Cam Smith, uh, who did officially uh, declare for the NFL draft um, on his Twitter, uh, probably won't play in this one. So you might be missing a couple guys on each side, but I think for the most part, you're going to have the cores there. Um, and this is an opportunity to beat another ranked team on a national stage to end the season. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah. I think that's kind of the main thing you've got. You talk about a national stage, you've got only three bowl games outside the new year's six out of, I mean, I guess there's, there's 41 bowls. So the other of those 35 other bowl games, you only have three that have two ranked teams. And this is one of them. You've got Notre Dame and South Carolina coming in at 21 and 19 in the poll, the final college football playoff poll. This is a four-hour drive from Columbia to Jacksonville. I think you're going to see a ton of garnet and black there. Um, I don't know what more you could have wanted out of a bowl game, realistically, if you're a South Carolina fan. This is a easy drive. This is a marquee opponent. This is a bowl you haven't played in in more than 30 years. It's a new destination for a lot of South Carolina fans. Beamer mentioned that Sunday. Like, this is how you draw it up if you have to go to one of the like non-major bowl games, I guess. This is exactly what you want. Yeah, and a short enough drive that you could feasibly do it in a day if you wanted to wake up. Yeah, with a three thirty kick, you get up in the morning and go. Yeah, yeah it's like four hours or whatever. So, um, yeah, I I can't wait. Um, and we're probably expecting to see Tyler Buckner for um, Notre Dame, who actually started the season as their starter before they over to Drew Pine, if I'm remembering that yeah, correctly. Well, they started 0-2. This is kind of, they kind of had a similar start to the year that South Carolina did. Uh, South Carolina started 1-2. They started 0-2. One of those losses was on the road at Ohio State, so okay. But um, they benched Tyler Buckner after that second loss, which was against Marshall. Um, they went with Drew Pine the rest of the year. They ripped off 8 out of 10 to finish the regular season. Um, and one of those other losses was to USC. So two losses to top 10 teams there. Um, they beat Clemson. That was kind of their marquee win. Same as South Carolina. Um, actually, yeah, two teams that had a very similar kind of seasons. Um, this, this should be interesting. And one other note that I've, and I'll have more on Notre Dame later this week. I'm going to try to do some kind of like first look at their numbers, but right now, two of the top three teams in the country in block kicks, South Carolina, and Notre Dame, Notre Dame's got seven this year. South Carolina's got six. We've talked about the Beamer ball, the Lembo ball all season. Well, Notre Dame special teams are pretty much just as good across the board. So that's kind of another fun angle on this game. Um, and it should be really fun. All three phases. Yeah. Um, I watched a ton of them throughout the season, but except for them trouncing Clemson, um, which I'm not sure is the best indication of what they are like on a week to week basis. Um, but what I could, could tell from the little bit that I've watched is they have a solid to good defense um, and then offensively up and down. Um, it's so Mayer, and that's kind of your, your, you know, we talk about cam Smith, Michael Mayer is Notre Dame's tight end. He's been the focal point of the offense all year. He's one of the best tight ends in the country. He's a projected like first round pick. I don't know if he's going to play. I haven't seen the announcement there either way, but if you're monitoring uh bowl playing or not playing on the other side of this game, now that we know drew pines out, Michael Mayer is the one you're keeping an eye on for Notre Dame as a South Carolina fan. Yeah, and um, we don't yet know who is going to be calling plays for South Carolina in the bowl game. Um, and I, I, I saw that 
Beamer joke that it might even be him. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so uh, that was a joke. Yeah, no, I mean, he didn't say it like, I don't know if you've watched the press or someone asked him that if he would consider calling plays himself. And he said, yeah, if that's the best thing, if I think that's the best thing, then yeah. Um, I'm, I don't think that's going to happen, but I also don't think he was joking about that. Yeah, I mean, there's no real reason for him to tell the media who's going to be calling the plays. Um, I don't know what sort of advantage that would actually give an opponent uh, because presumably whoever it is isn't who was calling the plays before. So uh, I don't know how. Well, yeah, it's funny. Beamer, um, Beamer said he doesn't want to say who it is because then Notre Dame can study the tendencies. Well, all right. Nobody on the staff's ever called plays before, at least the assistant coaches. They, they don't have any tendencies. Um, the only guy with tendencies is Freddie Kitchens, um, which maybe this means that's not going to be him. I don't know. But um, I thought that was a funny quote when he's trying about not give away tendencies for nine assistant, ten, 10 assistant coaches who don't have any tendencies calling plays. Well, yeah. And if you think about how this works, right, we got about three and a half weeks until this game. Um, they're not going to reinvent the wheel. They're they're going to use the same playbook that they had uh, throughout the season under Marcus Satterfield. Um, so whoever it is, is really just using their own flair and vibes. Maybe they insert a new player or two here, but um, the calls will be, you know, the same. Um, yeah, that's, it, it should be interesting. I mean, maybe, maybe honestly to like cut down on controversy, um, maybe the best move is for him to just call it because what if you name Justin step as the offensive coordinator for the bowl game or whatever, and then, uh, South Carolina scores 70 points, you know, then you're like, well, <laughs> what do we do? You know? Um, so yeah, and I mean, that's happened before this program too. Like that, that that's not, that wouldn't be new. No. I mean, that's how Brian McClendon kept his job under, uh, Will Muschamp, the comeback win against Michigan. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to, to see how that plays out. Uh, obviously as we know more about who will play and who will not play for each team, we'll keep you guys updated and yeah, we got about three weeks of uh, content on GameCocksGroup.com that a few times a week we'll start previewing this game, previewing uh, the different matchups. And I mean, we got a lot of time to to really get into it, which is is nice. For anybody wondering about the practice schedule, I did ask about that. They're going to be doing, like he, Beamer said, like three or four practices just on themselves, those kind of young guys, the things they kind of want. He's mentioned like under underclassmen or walk-on scrimmages earlier this year. They're going to do three or four of those. Then they're going to do like a four practices on Notre Dame in Columbia as a mock game week. They're going to break for Christmas and they're going to come back from Christmas, go to Jacksonville and do another three or four condensed practices for Notre Dame. If anyone was wondering about that, that's kind of how that's going to work. Um, we're expecting them to get to Jacksonville like the 26th or 27th. We haven't heard yet. And then obviously the game is on the 30th. I'm trying to think of what like fun things that they might do. Yeah, I, was kind of, I was thinking if anybody's got a comment or leave it on our form or whatever, please do like, all right, they went to Charlotte last year. That's close. Whatever. You had all the Mayo stuff. Like, um, I saw earlier today that, like, for the Pinstripe Bowl, Syracuse and Minnesota are doing some stuff in Times Square. They're, like, going to a New York Rangers game. Like, what do you do bowl week in Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, you think back to, like, if you ended up in Orlando, I know a lot of the times they'll go to the amusement parks or whatever. Um, I'm not sure, but we're going to get you down there early enough to find out because um, from my, my understanding, the media gets to – this is the first time that Gamecock Scoop is co covering a bowl game, by the way. We're really excited. Um, but my understanding is that the media gets to do a lot of 
that stuff. So we'll find out. I've always dreamed of spending five days in Jacksonville and it's going to (laughs) happen. Oh man. (laughs) Um, All right. We will have a lot more on the bowl game. Uh, We are still going to do two podcasts a week, you know, for the foreseeable future or whatever. So we got plenty of time to talk more uh, bowl game. Do you want to talk some basketball? So we're in the the middle of this uh, little break right now. The basketball team has a week off, by the way, someone, on the forum on Sunday. I can't remember who it was right now. Sorry, I can't credit you. Um, started a thread. was like, where do I watch the basketball game today? Meanwhile, I'm like, we what? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, did we miss something? Like, we don't have anyone signed up for this basketball game. Um, but yeah, no basketball this week. Uh, it is it finals week on, on campus. The, uh, There's no sports yeah. for any of the teams till Sunday. <laughs> um, but since we last talked, um, the men's basketball team had a huge win uh i mean you know it, georgetown is not a huge opponent but a huge win comparatively um they came back against georgetown on the road they're down 11 at halftime i believe um came back to win 74 71 in overtime michi johnson hits a game winning uh three on the last possession to kind of seal that one um but the real story to me which alan i don't, I don't know how much of this game you watched it felt like Gigi Jackson's like coming out party. Um, I mean, he's he's already been averaging almost a double double throughout the season or whatever, um, but it just felt different. He had zero in the first half, and then twenty two or twenty six. I can't remember the exact thing right now because it's been like almost a week. But um, in the second half, and really at at times in the second half, like took the game over. Felt like he was willing South Carolina back into it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. I put it in our doc. Did you see the Lamont Paris halftime Gigi Jackson thing? Um, I didn't at the time, but I... All right, uh, so Michael Anana from the state, who was traveling covering this um, D.C. road trip, reported, or he put it in his article um, from the Georgetown game, that Gigi Jackson was holding his head down at halftime, and Lamont Paris walked out to him and said, quote, that's bullshit to him when he had zero points. Um so that's Lamont kind of getting in the face of the superstar a little bit, who was kind of, it sounds like hanging his head and kind of moping around after a tough game and a half. And then he exploded. I saw most of this game. I had like a decent chunk of the second half on the radio because I was driving to cover the women's game in person. And then I got to the arena to CLA in time to watch the overtime. So I saw most of it, but I was impressed by, I was impressed by Gigi Jackson's playmaking too. There's a couple plays. I remember one where he like drew a double team, then just kind of slid a pocket pass to Hayden Brown under the basket. Um, the playmaking, I think, is underrated with him. That's going to come as he understands this team more and understands the collegiate basketball level more. Um, yeah, Gigi Jackson was tremendous, and that's what it's going to have to be for this team to get anywhere. Yeah, he was making some tough shots through that stretch. Um, he made two threes, <laughs> which isn't normally part of his game. I say that, but he's shooting like 40-something percent on the season, so maybe he should be taking more threes. I don't know. Um, but no, he's been taking timely threes, um, and then he made some really tough um technical sort of like fade fadeaways and stuff uh through that stretch and then like you said once he started making shots he was smart enough to see when people were coming off their guy and dishing it out um so it really opened up the offense for for other guys as well um and i think if i have offensive production that's the blueprint um get Gigi jackson going and then um when that opens up other things got to go attack it so um i don't know that you can take a ton away uh from the the road win at georgetown but that's their first road win of the season 
um, and hopefully a little bit of a confidence boost for the team and for Gigi Jackson, who is, again, 17 years old, and he took over that game for that stretch, which was really impressive. From a basketball perspective, I don't know what you take other than Gigi took over, and I think you see the importance of Michi Johnson again, just the space he creates, kind of the gravity, um, a guy that can shoot from that range. He just forces the defense to change his calculus a little bit. Um, so I think you saw that again, even though he kind of had an up-and-down game again. Um just from a mental side, though, I think this is huge. We talked about it last week. All right, you just got thumped by George Washington. They were down 35 at some point. You've got Lamont Paris basically saying some players on his team quit after that. How do you respond? You fall behind by 11 again. Is it going to spiral? Is it going to be an 0-2 road trip? That's a good response against a not great team, but you still have to respond. Um, I think that's a good win for what Lamont Paris is trying to build, even if – you know, no, I don't. Georgetown's not a tournament team. Georgetown's probably not even an NIT team, but you still got to win the games. And that's a big one mentally after what happened in the game before. Yeah. And I think the big thing is it just felt like it was following the same script as every other uh, 25 point loss that we've yes, seen throughout absolutely. the season. Um, and they found whatever resiliency within them to kind of stop that tide and, and turn it back. So, um, yeah, I'm. We're not expecting this team to make the tournament. We're not expecting this team uh, to finish even middle of the pack in the SEC. But to me, if you finish 12th or whatever, that's that's a win for for what you expected of the season. Um, and you know they've shown some signs that they can, when things come together, they can compete against average teams. Which is, I think staying healthy is the big thing. That was a close to full strength. I know Daniel Hank and Sanford wasn't there, but other than that, that was pretty much a full strength roster for what they have. You had Gigi Jackson, obviously. You had a healthy Michi Johnson. You had a healthy Chico Carter Jr. Hayden Brown, who had some injury problems early in the year, preseason. You saw what that looks like, and yeah, it's not great. Like you said, the expectations are still what they are, but it's a whole lot better than what it is when it's injured. So I think you I think staying healthy as much as anything is kind of a key for this team, even though that's kind of an obvious statement. Definitely. And then I didn't get a chance to watch any of the women's basketball game against Memphis. So that's going to be all you, but uh, what, what were your takeaways on that? Um, it looked like everyone seemed pretty healthy again. I, I don't have a ton there. Um, obviously Memphis is an overmatch opponent. Well, they did play pretty well for the first quarter and change. Um, my main thing is Camilla Cardoso. Again, she had her, Highest scoring game as a Gamecock. She transferred from Syracuse before last season. This is her second year here um, on Tuesday. And then she went and you know what? That wasn't good enough. So I got to score even more points on Saturday. She had a 16 Tuesday and then 18 on Saturday. Um, the big lineup with Camilla and Aaliyah Boston is pretty much unstoppable. They're doing, Aaliyah was talking about doing more high-low passes after the game. She's working on that because she wants to feed Camilla Cardoso more. Um, Camilla Cardoso was just named SEC Player of the Week for women's basketball with those two games. And this team is now 8-0, um, kind of all humming the way it should. And we're now, I believe they have four non-conference games left before SEC play starts. And I think the men have five, if that sounds right. Um, yeah. And then, then both teams. They don't, they don't start conference play till January, at least. The men don't. Yeah, so. the women have December 29th, which obviously I'll be, I'll be in Jacksonville, their first conference game. And I think the men are January 3rd at Vanderbilt. Um, and then both teams are back in action this week after finals are over on Sunday. It's a doubleheader at CLA. If you're not doing anything Sunday, you can grab two basketball games. Uh, the women are hosting Liberty at two o'clock and the men are hosting Presbyterian at six o'clock. We'll have coverage of both those games on GameCockScoop.com. 
Yeah, live coverage, live photos. Um, I think Pauline's going to that one Ooh. too. So yeah, that should be fun. Um, one question I had uh, is Cardozo still coming off the bench primarily, or yes. did she start those two games? She's coming I mean, off the bench right now. That's pretty impressive to it is. be named SEC Player of the Week uh, as your sixth woman or whatever. So that's pretty much the role she's playing right now. She's been that first or second sub off the bench, and they like to play her with Aaliyah a lot. Just do the kind of I don't know. It's kind of a Houston Rockets, Hakeem Olajuwon, Moses Malone thing. Just get the two get the two tall players out there and kind of use a, a paint. They scored 60 points in the paint against Memphis. That's kind of the emphasis and that lineup's pretty tough to stop. Yeah. That's, that actually reminds me one more thing about the men's game though, that we didn't mention um, the first half, they shot more threes than twos, <laughs> uh, which is not a winning formula. I don't think for this team, um, but then they outscored Georgetown in the paint. I don't have the exact stat now, but I think it was something like 24. Yeah, I'm being aggressive, though. That's That happens because your big interior – I know who's hitting mid-rangers too, but your big interior presence, G.G. Jackson, was being more aggressive. He was taking it upon himself, and that's what that means. No doubt. And, and Hayden Brown was knocking mm-hmm. down some shots, which we talked about the uh, George Washington game. Is that right? Yeah. All those Georges still confuse me. Uh, the George Washington <laughs> game, um, Hayden Brown was getting to the rim a lot, but just nothing was falling. So that was another big difference. He did fell time. out again, though. That's the one thing. He's that's. Yeah. I think that's twice he's fouled out, and three other times this year already. He's had four fouls out of eight games. Like he's. That's still something you got to just kind of try to monitor, I guess. But I mean, you like the the aggression, and and some of it is that he's on the bench, and they need him out there. Yeah. I say some of it is that he's like um, a little bit shorter than a lot of the guys he's defending. I think so. He um, compensates by bodying them or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, anything else that you wanted to talk about before we get out of here? I think that about covers it. As um, you know, other than the the OC search and the portal and the recruiting and the bowl and the basketball, it's a pretty light show there, huh? <laughs> pretty light. Um, all right. Well, we'll have anything that's breaking on Gamecocks Group. And then we'll be back here Thursday, Friday, sometime uh, to talk a little bit more. So see you then. See you.